You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. episode of the lakers fast break podcast it's gerald glassford coming right back at you here from lakers fast break pop culture cosmos inside sports fantasy football and game source we truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows and if you can please give us that five star review that's right that five star review on apple Podcasts, or subscribe follow like share whatever you can do to support the show hey tell a friend if they're a basketball fan that the lakers fast break is out there We'd be truly indebted to you if you could. But he's back again. He's he's willing to hear more of my voice. I'm just so glad to have him back talking some basketball. This time, we are going to delve a little bit into the NBA draft coming up here in a bit. But I wanted to get him on for some other things. His observations from around the world, plus also the last dance. It is a good man indeed. you got to check out not only his videos that are really detailing the NBA draft and all the NBA draft prospects today at NBA Draft Junkies on YouTube. His great website with his mock draft, you got to go ahead and check that out at NBADraftJunkies.com. But he's got a new podcast. Watch out. A new podcaster on the horizon here. Watch the next Joe Rogan. We were just talking about that before the show. I see Spotify dishing out the paycheck for this guy right here. It is NBA Draft Junkies on Anchor. Spotify, and soon-to-be Apple Podcasts, and wherever you can get your podcasts. It is a good man indeed. It is Raphael Barlow. And Raphael, oh, excuse me, Mr. Rogan, welcome to, <laughs> <laughs> welcome back on the show. Appreciate it, my friend. Glad to be back on. I feel like I'm really a regular now. <laughs> exactly. Well, if you can get the Rogan money and I can get the Simmons money from Spotify. We're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> yeah. We're good. I, we, you know, I don't care which one's higher. It doesn't matter to me. We're good. We're good. But I just wanted to go ahead into talking a little about, uh, you know, what's going on in the NBA. And finally, for non-Bulls fans out there, the Last Dance has ended its docuseries, uh, ended this past weekend on ESPN. I thought, even as a non-Bulls fan, but someone who appreciated Michael Jordan and who thinks Michael Jordan is one of – actually, I think he's the most dominant player of his generation and, and probably of all time. I th- really think it was a, a nice tribute as far as the series is concerned to that last championship for the Bulls. I thought it had a deep insight and some great reflections on some things I knew but also didn't know about what was going on in that final season. I want to hear your thoughts on the last dance overall of the series and some things that maybe stuck out to you the most. I thought it was great. Um, And I thought it was great even if, you know, right now there's nothing on TV. So it it makes it even 
greater to watch and people looking forward to it. But I think even if this wasn't going on and there were a lot of sports on TV, it still would have been something that would have been really successful. Felt like it's a little biased in a sense. It's more so of the Michael Jordan documentary than the Bulls. But I mean, it's Michael Jordan and that's who people would have wanted to see. But I definitely think it was a little bit more so from his perspective as opposed to the overall last dance and the team perspective. Almost like it was that he's an executive producer overseeing and okaying a lot of this. Yeah, I mean, I read he had like final say so over pretty much everything. So well, there you it's go. <laughs> the Michael Jordan and the Bulls last dance documentary. And that's something that I think was for non Bulls fans, maybe was kind of the reasons if anybody out there has some negative opinions or maybe even some opinions that it didn't go far enough or it didn't give a arbitrary look at, at that season from an outsider's perspective, uh, giving us more insight into it than even what we wanted to see is because of that. It's because Michael Jordan said, maybe this doesn't go there. Maybe this doesn't go here. And there was a lot left on the cutting room floor. All right. Yeah, but I, I thought it was good. I don't know what I'm going to do this coming Sunday because I feel like yes, you know, you the do. past few weeks. Yes, you do. You, you, you and I both know what you're going to be working on. Yeah, I find something to work on. But it, it gave me like a two-hour break to just not have any work to think about. And one of the things I love about social media is that I'm watching it on Twitter with everyone else and everyone's commenting about their thoughts and and that's something that i really enjoyed about it so um i saw a funny post that said episodes 11 and 12 next week and they had them in the wizard's uniform and i wish it was true <laughs> that might be just as fun to watch as the other eight episodes out that were out there with the uh, last dance from espn but it is available right now it is the last dance like i said it is something that it is worth watching and I also think that it is something that people, if they want to get a deeper insight, maybe not as deep as they would like, but get a deeper insight and some things that, you know, if you're around that time, if you're a basketball fan, you kind of knew about, but mm -hmm. you wanted to get a clarification on, especially when it comes to Dennis Rodman <laughs> and all the funny things that we did. And Scottie Pippen, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was stuff that I forgot about, or maybe I just did not know. And I felt like at that time I knew everything that was dealing with Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Um, but yeah, I did not know that Rodman did the whole NWA, NWO event during the finals. And it just makes me realize that how different the media is today. Um, you know, they talked about Jordan out in Atlantic City gambling. I think they were down 0-2. I mean, could you imagine if LeBron was down 0-2, and he went to Vegas for a few hours. <laughs> or, or he did a pay-per-view uh, for World Championship Wrestling. Anything. I mean, I think if he just was out on the beach in Malibu and they were down 0-2, it would be a huge issue. But going out and gambling or or just Rodman taking a, a leave of absence from the team. And I saw someone comment saying Rodman originated um, load management. That would never happen in today's game. No. It would never happen. And if it did, the players would never be able to live it down. But I it just seems like anything from that era, because it was Jordan and the Bulls, they were so successful, it gets a pass. 
Yeah, it gets a pass. And like you said, you win so many titles, it seems like that's the case. Even LeBron, when he took that, what, it was in Miami he took that? Or was it Cleveland? When he took that, like, two-week break? Yeah, I think it was a two-week break. Um, His first uh, year back in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, exactly, when he got the coach fired. Or right around the time he got the coach fired. Uh, that was actually pretty good. I mean, but I know he uh, never came back into the league uh, after that. But, yes, I know they were trying to take pictures of him uh, on the beach or on the boat or whatnot. I saw the pictures of him on the beach during that period of time taking those t- that time off. And I know it's somewhat of a social media issue because people say, oh, why is he taking time off like that? He's he's lounging around during the season while the other players are working hard, la, 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 la. And you see 20 years earlier, you know, going on those Vegas benders, Atlantis, Atlantic City benders, things of that nature, you see that take place and that was kind of like the norm as opposed to what was you know what would take place now these days yeah that's i just i just can't imagine only thing i can think of that a player really got ridiculed for i remember our test wanted time off to perform his rap album and then remember cedric sabalos went um (laughs) where's he at in arizona somewhere he went jet skiing yeah and those are the only two things that I, i can think of but those players were heavily criticized for it, but I do not remember Rodman getting as much criticism for, you know, especially during the finals as those guys received. But again, it was the Bulls, so it felt like they had the media in their pocket. So whatever they did, it just seemed like they got a pass for it. It seems like, and, and well, you know, if you win so many titles in that period of time, I think you're going to get a pass for it because obviously you're not doing anything that's uh, hindering your your title hopes. So I just think that if anybody out there wanted to see, hey, I think it could have gone a little bit longer had Michael Jordan wanted to stay with the team, I think it ended at the right time. I don't think they were going to be able to sustain that window very much longer. I, I'm kind of iffy on that. And the only reason I'm kind of iffy is because there's a lockout the next year and they could have been well rested coming into that season. So you, it depends on if Scotty would have came back, but Michael in a lockout shortened season and they were an older team, but I think that would have benefited them more than anybody at that time. And then also I think the Knicks made it that year without Patrick Ewing. Yes. I think the Bulls could have maybe not won, but I definitely think that they could have went to the finals and made a run at number seven. But they they just ended it, you know. You know, you you can say they ended it premature, and they should have had a chance to come back and and defend their title. But the way it ended with that shot was, it was great. I mean, Michael ended up coming back two years later, which sometimes you can forget that he played for the Wizards, kind of like Joe Montana when he played for the Chiefs or Jay Wright and Seahawks, (laughs) yeah, Brady. Brady on the Bucks, and um, and then I saw a picture someone posted where Jordan was defending Pippen or vice versa. Pippen was in a Blazers uniform. Jordan was in the Wizards uniform. It looks so weird. It did, and I think, like you said, when when history looks back on it, they'll almost almost like blot out the years in in Washington and his years trying to make it with the Chicago White Sox and all that. So yeah, I think it. It could have been a little bit more, or at least they could have contended for a title a lot stronger. But it was a drop the mic moment, and I th- oh, pardon the pun there with the mic, but drop the mic moment for 
the Chicago Bulls, and you really couldn't ask for a better way out. Yeah. Kobe didn't go out with a championship, but now you can say he went out. His last game was one of the best drop-the-mic moments in sports history. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I just wish it would have, uh, for the Lakers run in the early 2000s, and then they had the year that they lost to the Pistons, uh, a lot of it due to the health of Carl Malone and just the friction in between the team at that point in time. That was a team that I think could have lasted a little bit longer, especially if there was some cooperation on there. I mean, that could have been one if. I don't know if it would have been a three, four titles that Shaq or Kobe would have said that, yeah, that they've said would they would have had had they stayed together. I mean, they, in hindsight, that they tried to do. But at least they would have been at that level, I think, for a lot longer. Yeah, I think it would have been like the Lakers-Celtics, except it would have been in the Western Conference. It would have been Lakers, Spurs, Lakers, Spurs, or it just would have switched back and forth between those teams throughout the whole 2000s, early 2000s. I agree. I agree. That's some memories right there. Uh, like I said if uh, before with Laker Tom, if there's any – Last dance that I would love to see. It's not Kobe's last year, which I know there's a lot of footage of that has been yet to be released on that. I think it would actually be the last year Kobe and Shaq were together because that would be like a soap opera. And just I just couldn't stop watching. It would keep me riveted just to see the animosity build up and the friction right there and just some good stuff there. And Carl Malone and, you know. Gary uh, Payton was on that team, right? Gary Payton. I was just going to say, Gary Payton, both doing the shake my head moment, can't believing they did this for a title. And uh, Phil Jackson wanting to check out already. That would have been, for me, riveting television. But maybe, hey, maybe that will be on next Sunday for you. I think with the way the success of this series, I think there's going to be a lot of people going back and forth in the vault trying to piece together stories. I know one that I've heard about for years that hasn't come out, and it may have been a rumor, but I want to see one with the – it's titled the Jailblazers and the, the Portland Trailblazers teams of the early 2000s. And I think that would be interesting because they were – they didn't win any championships, but they were like – the NBA's bad boys. Just they, were, things. they were really good, and they were really bad for a lot of different reasons. I know yeah. you have Zebo. If, if people check out his podcast on his NBA YouTube channel, I believe you have Zebo on your wall when you go ahead and you record right there as a trailblazer yeah. and just a part of that jailblazing team. That would be uh, that'd be kind of cool to see personally is those years, like you said, when they were the jailblazers, just to see the kind of stuff that Rick Adelman, I think, who was the coach, was going through at that period of time. It was what? Was, was it Adelman? Rick Adelman? Was at, uh, I know Mo Cheeks for a point of time. Okay. Um, I want to say that was probably like 2002-ish. On, was it Dunleavy? Um, no, Dunleavy was, I think, the early... With yeah. the you know when they played the Lakers in those series, um, I should know this. No, I it was um, Adelman. Was part yeah, of it was. It was definitely Adelman at one time, and then he left for Sacramento, and then Mo Cheeks, Mo Cheeks for for a time. But I think Mo Cheeks came after after Rasheed was gone. I would have been like to have been their phone ringing. You could just ringing at like two o'clock in the morning, and you're like picking up like what now. What now? Yeah, <laughs> and the the even now I listen to the Isaiah Ryder was on Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson's podcast, and he still has animosity towards Eddie Jones, and you can hear it coming out of his voice because he felt like 
Eddie Jones was an all-star and he wasn't, and he didn't get the praise. And so that was a, a good time in basketball for me, just because even though it was somewhat of a rivalry, it wasn't like a big rivalry, like, you know, Lakers, Celtics, or Bulls, Pistons, but they, it was a little Western conference rivalry that, that all the games were intense and all the games felt like they went to the last minute and it comes down to the Lakers just ended up having the two best players on the court at the time. And the Lakers always got the best of the Blazers. But they would probably be the most, uh, out, like you said, outside of maybe the Lakers and a couple other teams, the most noteworthy team in the NBA had it been in this environment with social media and all that. TMZ would be parked right outside their practice facility each and every day. Uh, you know, you'd get all the different people from Twitter and and all the different you know various social media outlets are just checking out each and every day, figuring out who we're going to see next on the police blotter. So yeah, <laughs> it to me it's just something that was that would be interesting too. I would for me that would be a riveting watch, mm-hmm. very riveting watch. Yeah, we don't have teams like that in the NBA anymore. There, it seems I, like I wonder in- why. Yeah, it just seems like NBA players' character, there's not as many character issues league-wide like there were in years past. Well, that's a good thing. I think that's a great thing for the league. I think it's very representative. I think we're getting now the representation of the league that they wanted. I know in the early 2000s, everybody was making a big deal about Allen Iverson, his persona. I know they changed the dress code because of what he was doing and things of that nature. and. I mean, come on. A lot of it was just overblown, overdone. But you're right. With some of the stuff that was going on, especially in the early to mid-2000s, yeah, that's, that was some crazy stuff. When it would still only be reported in the middle of a newspaper. Right. And now you don't really see NBA players getting in any trouble off the court. It seems like it's a lot more football. But, of course, there's way more football players than basketball players. But especially in the last week or so, it just seems like there's been so many NFL players that have run into trouble with the law. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. Well, my friend, I wanted to ask you some things on the lottery, and then I want to actually close out our conversation with some reflections that you have in your travels. Once mm-hmm. again, I'm talking to Rafael Barlow from the NBA Draft Junkies. you got to check out not only his YouTube page, his awesome website, but now his incredible podcast, which you got to go ahead and check out today on Anchor, Spotify, and coming soon to everywhere you can get your podcasts. I want to go ahead and talk a little bit about Kai Soto because he's the most recent G League acquisition for this G League developmental program. 
The reason mm -hmm. why it sticks out to me is because in most of these, uh, I guess, charts or, or lists that are out there, he's in the 60s as mm -hmm. far as prospect. He's only a, rated a four-star prospect. Oh, my gosh. Correct. a four Only a four-star prospect. But we're putting that perspective here. Uh, yeah. It seemed like the G League was as, and the NBA was headed to try and target five-star prospects only. So to see him sign, uh, yes, yes, he is seven foot two. Yes, he is, uh, you know, he's got some talent, got some skills. But to see him commit to the G League and be even asked and be approached by the G League when someone right now is projected to be barely at the end of next year's draft, maybe even an undrafted, seems very interesting until you get to the fact that he could become, if he plays in the NBA, the first full-fledged, full-bred uh, full Filipino athlete mm -hmm. in the NBA, which is of extreme importance to that country. Uh, you know, I'm married to a Filipina. And uh, first of all, she couldn't believe the idea that, you know, that there was seven-foot-two Filipino <laughs> out there. And I'm like, yes, there is. But I wanted to go ahead and say that this is very important for that country if he does get a chance to succeed. Yeah, I've had an opportunity to watch him play a couple times. And I think the ranking that he's on with ESPN in the 60s, I think that's accurate. I don't think that he would have had this G League opportunity if he were an American. But then again, maybe because he's 7'2", guys 7'2", don't grow on trees. So I'm kind of iffy on it. But I think that it makes sense for the NBA because if they put him in this developmental league, he could, you know, he could obviously develop, get some pro training, but if he's successful, it is great for the Philippines, the, you know, the people there that, I mean, I know they love basketball there. Yes. I haven't actually had a chance to go there, but I know it's a huge, you know, <laughs> huge Lakers fan base. Yeah. yeah. Huge Lakers. <laughs> They dearly missed Kobe. When Kobe passed away mm -hmm. and that happened, I know that country was deeply, deeply affected. They had many tributes still to this day that are existing in that country. They've Their thoughts, it's a beautiful place to be. I know, like I said, being married to a Filipina has just been a tremendous experience to understand that culture a little bit better. And I know how deeply important it would be for them if Kai Soto could actually make an imprint into the NBA. Yeah, it would make great financial sense for the NBA. And at the end of the day, you know, the NBA is a business. And one of the reasons they've been so successful is because they were thinking outside of the box and using basketball as a global game. And it's grown, you know, it's made a tremendous amount of money. I mean, the guys are making $30, $40 million a year. And a lot of that is because of the success globally. So for him to go there and develop and, you know, even if they play, I don't know, nine, 10 games or what they're saying they're going to play now, last I've heard, you're going to, I'll put it like this. Those games may be the most watched games in G League history, just off of the fact that you're going to have a whole country watching him play. And I saw him, it was all-star break in Chicago at the NBA Global Academy. And he was there I took notes. I don't think he really stood out to me that much, but he had a whole camera crew behind him. And the and the camera crew were Chinese. And so the reason I was so 
interested in it because I had literally just got back from China maybe like two weeks before that. And so I saw the Chinese media and I went to ask them like, who are they, who are they following? Because I, I didn't recognize any of the, the Chinese prospects that were there that I thought were good enough to warrant a media attention. And they told me that they were following Kai Soto. So I think not only does he have the Philippines watching, all of Asia will be watching and rooting for him to be successful, which brings attention to the G League. And I also think that if he is going to make a league, that this is his best option over playing overseas or playing one year out of college. Because as a big man, and the, if the NBA understands this and they sign him, they're obviously going to get coaches or instructors who are used to playing at a big man spot in the NBA or understand what it's going to take for a big man to succeed in the NBA to work with him. And if he's going to get the best opportunity to succeed, this G League structure, this G League developmental program may not be the best for every single G League athlete or every single G League prospect that's, that goes into it. But I think for him and the fact that he's going to get a lot of one-on-one development, I, I feel with some, some big man specialists that are there, I think that's probably the best case scenario for him. And see, I'm iffy on it simply because I don't know how often they're going to play. While I feel if he went to college, he'd play. If he went to Kansas or North Carolina or one of those schools, he's going to play about 28 to 30 minutes a game, and he's going to play 30 to 35 games and get a chance to play some real competition. I, I just And we talked about it on the previous episode. I just feel like with the way this G League system is set up, it seems like it's too – it's like a big training camp, you know? And – I don't really see at least I mean things could change because it's still early, but how many games are they gonna play? Are they gonna play, you know, the G League showcase? But it seems like it's more training and development than actual playing. And if they I'm get believer, to twenty. If they get to twenty games, does that change your mind a little bit more? Uh no, because twenty is less than a high school schedule. <laughs> I mean, you have to think in AAU they play they can play twenty games and a month for sure. And so I think the best way to develop is to actually play. And so I've, I've done some skills training with a few NBA players and that's actually kind of how I, I got my start. And one of the things that I feel like what's different between players today and players back then is that a lot of players back then played basketball. You know, you go on the blacktop, you played, 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 played. So you know, you learned your creativity. You learn if your moves worked. You actually got bumped and hit, and you knew how to, you know, just kind of. You can't simulate basketball contact or any of that. I feel like a lot of the guys today just train, and they don't necessarily play games because you're scared of getting hurt. You really don't see people playing outside anymore, and so it just seemed like a lot of guys just train. While I feel like some NBA players are doing a good job of comp- of mixing both, you know, like you got all your runs at UCLA during the summer, they get up, they train, they work with their skills guy, and then they go play. And they may not be playing like just regular pickup. They're playing to work on stuff. Like, you know, if you saw the James Harden videos last summer, he would shoot all those one-leg jumpers, which he didn't really shoot this year, but he may be pulling it out next year. 
it was someone else I saw that they were just working on specific things. So I think the best way to develop guys is to combine skill set or skills training and actually playing. And so far with this G League, it seems like it's going to be more so, and this is just my opinion, a lot of training, a little bit of games, but a lot of gathering intel, which will allow the NBA teams to know, all right, this guy has a work ethic. This guy, you know, he gets up early and it, it helps them save money because they'll have the intel on the player and they'll be able to decide if, well, if we give him $5 million guaranteed, we know he's going to be the same player. And that's just my opinion on, of it. Because I think with college, you can gather a lot of intel on guys and you still may not know. But I think if they're in a system, the NBA system, and you know the guys work ethic and you know their character, it's the intel that teams really want to get that they're, they're hands on. That's very astute. Uh, I really think that, that zeroes it in. You're right. They'll have a better idea exactly if he wants it or if he doesn't. Yeah, and I think putting them in Southern California is not by mistake. I've always felt the same way with uh, um, Summer League in Las Vegas. You have fringe guys who are trying to make a team, and you throw them in Las Vegas for two weeks, and some guys are possibly going to lose their contract or lose their invite to training camp because they have so much freedom in Las Vegas, two weeks, and if you're six foot ten, people are going to spot you at the crap table at 3 o'clock in the morning. So I think uh, the NBA kind of knows what, what they're doing. They're, they're putting the guys in, a, I think, in a structured environment, but it will also be a good environment to test and see how well they'll handle professional basketball life. And that's something we'll hopefully see with Kai Soto. I wish the best for him mm -hmm. because, like I said, it would be such a tremendous thing for, for the country of the Philippines if he is going to succeed and get that chance to develop as a player where it won't be a reach or it, he won't end up being uh, the 15th man on a roster or he mm -hmm. won't end up in the G League forever. I certainly hope he will get a chance to become an, an impact player in the NBA because the country of the Philippines, the, the half Filipinos that are out there, such as Jordan Clarkson, for instance, I mean, they follow him closely. They follow mm -hmm. his career closely. And this, this country just absolutely loves its native players and would just relish the opportunity to go ahead and have Kai Soto play in the league. And, and that would just gain even more eyes on the NBA. And like you said, it is a business with the NBA and very calculated. So I was just wondering your insight on that and if it was similar to what I was thinking and it and appears to be the case. Yeah, I just want to see him play. I mean, the, I saw him play last summer in Greece, and I keep getting them mixed up. I don't know if he was at the under 19s or under 18s because they were both in Greece and I actually went to both of them. Um, I don't remember which one he was in, but on my notes, what I had about him was I thought he was very skilled. He's definitely talented, definitely has the potential to be an NBA player, but I felt like he was missing that aggression, toughness, that whole I'm going to dominate a game mentality. And so I felt there were times where he was clearly much better than the player that was guarding him, but he didn't enforce his will on the game. He didn't dominate. And living in, in China, and, and I mean, you know, the Philippines is probably different, but sometimes I feel that may be cultural 
because they, you know, you're, it's not in the nature to just go out and just totally punish someone who is weaker or smaller than you. And so I felt like he had a little bit of that in him. And I could be totally wrong or totally off base, but I felt like he just didn't necessarily nominate the way that he should have. And it was an aggression issue. Yeah. It was more so of of a mentality thing than skill set. And I think the best way for him to develop that would be playing against guys who are maybe not as big or as skilled, but athletic or, or physical. And but then you mix that in with NBA coaching, I think that he could be fine. So that's why I want to see him play. And I in my opinion, of course, you know, the money is totally different. And I would have did the same thing if I were him, if I were offered the money. But I felt like playing college basketball would have given him some opportunities to play 30-something games. He would have played a lot of minutes. He would have had a chance to play in some intense environments, playing against guys that were looking to, you know, make a name for themselves because they know scouts are watching him. But, you know, I would have did the same thing if I were him. I would have took the money also. Because not only is it the money from the G League, but like you said, it's all the outside endorsements. And because, mm-hmm. like you, like you had previously said, he is just so you know impactful already you know around asia as an entire area not just the philippines it could be something that he, at least if he, if he does flame out or he does not make it as an nba player per se he still has a long career ahead of him in you overseas and and those those benefits that wait, await him financially because of what he's doing now yeah so it makes a lot of sense short term I just hope that it's the right decision long term because like I keep saying, I really want to see him play a lot of games. And I I think that he would have played double the games in college. But again, we could be speaking, you know, prematurely because we haven't fully heard what the actual plan is for this G League pathway program. But based off of how it is today, it just doesn't seem like the guys are gonna play a lot of games. We'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. Once again, I'm talking to Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies. Check out all of his great stuff on his new podcast, his YouTube channel, also as well as great site, NBADraftJunkies.com. The lottery, real quick, they're not changing it. So whatever happens with the rest of the season, they're still keeping the same structure. Do you like it, the way it is structured now? In fact, the odds are going to be a little bit more even at the top. Do you like the way the way it's set up now, or do you think it should at least experiment with some type of change? Well, uh, I like it for how it is now, but in my opinion, I would love to see a total radical change. I would love to see it to where there is no draft or lottery and players can enter as free agents. Very interesting. The reason I would like to see that, and I know it would never happen, is because, and it goes back from my experience living in Europe. And one of the things I loved about the basketball game in Europe, I mean, no, the talent level is totally different. 
but the passion of the fans and how every game counts is something that we don't see in the NBA because in Europe, there's no reward for losing. So if you're bad, you don't say, well, you know what, if we're bad, but if we stay stay bad or play worse, then we're going to get the number one pick. So, you know, you're playing like, like Golden State this year. I understand it makes sense because of the way the rules are set up, but Draymond was missing games that you felt like, you know, he could have played. I felt like um, D'Angelo Russell was missing games with knick-knack injuries. And it makes total sense because you're developing their guys for next year. But they're going to be rewarded with a number one pick or, you know, at least the top five pick at the minimum that they can flip and get other assets. But if there were no reward for that, or maybe even like if the bottom two teams in the NBA, and I know this would never happen. This is just me dreaming here. If the bottom two teams in the NBA, instead of getting rewarded with a number one pick, you were demoted to the G League, imagine how intense every NBA game would be. Again, I know it would never happen. So the reason I, I would like to toy with that no lottery and rookies can enter as free agents, now it becomes a, a chess match between the players and the agents to try to find the best fit for them that will allow them to come in and play and put themselves in position for the next or the second contract is where the money's at. So our people say, well, no, that wouldn't be fair because guys would go to the Warriors. Well, if you're LaMelo, you'd have to decide, all right, do I go to the Warriors and risk not playing because they don't necessarily need me? Or do I say, I'm going to the Knicks? I'm going to pass up a chance to win a championship because I want to go to New York because I know if I'm in New York, I'm going to play you know, 32, 33 minutes a game. It allows me to build my brand. I know I'll start there. So that's that would be fun to me. Like I said, I know it won't happen, but I would love to see the chess game that goes on between teams, players, and agents and just make it like free agency. But much less the owner's booth. Yeah. So if you're if you're a James Wiseman or Anyeka Kangu, it makes sense for you to want to go look at the Warriors because, you know, like I can go in there as a chance to start and I can win the championship early. If you're an Anthony Edwards, where do you go? You probably won't choose Cleveland. You won't. You, you're going to choose a team that says, well, where, they, where you know, like, all right, they have a hole at the shooting guard spot. I think this is where I can play. That's so to me, that would make that would make. I mean, think how exciting NBA free agency is. But your your process about, uh, I should say process at this point in time when we're talking about this, but your thoughts on if, if you're one of the last two teams and you would have to go down the G League. I, I was referring to the owner's booth about these owners just literally just, uh, for lack of a better term, wetting their pants, so to speak, if they realize that they would have to be going down the G League and the, and all the lost revenue on that and the consequences from that. So, yes, it would create a quite a bit of tension for those teams who really weren't playing that well. It's a playoff-like atmosphere for teams that aren't going to the playoffs. <laughs> and that's so many noticed. different ways. In so many different ways. So, I mean, remember, it was a game maybe two or three years ago. The Mavericks were playing the Suns. It was like the second to last game of the year. And someone took a screenshot of the starting five for both teams. And a year later, like, none of those guys are actually in the NBA. 
<laughs> and both teams were literally playing for, you know, the, the number one pick that year, which was, you know, Phoenix ended up getting DeAndre Ayton and Dallas ended up getting Luka Doncic. But the way the system is now with the lottery, you kind of incentivize teams for losing. Well, look at Philadelphia with the process, getting back to that. I mean, yeah. Sam Hink, that's the only regret I have from that area of times. Yeah, he didn't always draft great, but he didn't get to see the whole process through. I mean, he started. You could see the potential of it. I know a lot of people like myself were interested, intrigued on where it would go because we could see ultimately a path to success for it. But he wasn't able to go ahead and get that opportunity because the league you know, just didn't like it and didn't like all those empty arenas with the eight wins, 10 wins, 15 wins teams that they had in Philadelphia at that point in time. So, yeah, I can understand that. But they were just going ahead and playing what whatever odds that were dealt to them by the mm-hmm. NBA. Well, I think the biggest mistake Hinky made was being honest about it. <laughs> I think he was totally honest. I mean, we all have known that tanking is not new. It's been, it's been going on for years. I mean, I can remember early back to Patrick Ewing to the, the Knicks whole thing before they started the lottery. So it's been going on. Think about the Spurs team the, the year with, when they ended up winning the lottery getting Tim Duncan. Their leading scorer was Dominique Wilkins, if I'm not mistaken, who was out of the NBA the year before. And like I said, it's been going on. Hinky was just very honest and saying, this is what we're going to do. Yes, we're going to lose. And I think between being honest and some of the long three- or four-year non-guaranteed contracts that they're offering players, it just really looked bad for the NBA. And it's sad because he hasn't had a, a job since. I don't even think I've heard him interview for teaching. a job. I think he he's is teaching. Yeah. Like Stanford or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, my, my proposal, and I'm not going to say I'm the first guy that thought of this, but it would definitely change – it would change the NBA for sure. And I think it would add some excitement to these late April games where, you know, guys are just calling up G League guys. And I know teams want to develop, but between the, you know, the competitive teams fighting for playoff seeding, you'd have the bad teams fighting to prevent from getting, getting demoted. And I think that's the concept they use in, in soccer in Europe. And I know, like um, in basketball, I have a friend that plays in Germany. His team won the second division. They moved up to the first division, and now they're just getting smoked every game. But, you know, the team that was in the first division the year before that's now in the second division are fighting to get back up to the top. So it's competitive all the way around, and I would like to see that in the NBA. I'd love to see the tagline by the ESPN when they try to show those games. The G League is on the line, you know, something like that. Just something cheesy right there is, uh, you know, let's say Atlanta plays uh, Golden State, uh, you know, right now based off the records as we see. So that would so, be kind of that would be, be exciting and interesting for altogether different reasons. Well, yeah, because imagine if it were this year, Clay would have been back, <laughs> Steph would have played, Draymond would have played. You know, they would have finished the season off. You know, Cleveland would be forced to play Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson or uh, Andre Drummond, they would have to play them big minutes. And then some of the teams that I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, they would have to play their veterans that are better than the young players that they're developing 
they would have to play them minutes to prevent from getting demoted. So to me, that would be exciting. That would be exciting and uh, altogether radical. And you know what? I like it. I would love to see that type of challenge. I'm all in for something like that. For me, it beats the in-season tournament. Mm-hmm. I, couldn't, I, I couldn't hang with that idea. The end-season tournament for the final spots, I could work on that. I could get used to something like that. But the in-season tournament, the mid-season tournament thing like they do in soccer overseas, I understand that, that they do that. But it's just I'm not with that. But the NC, if you do it at the end season for all those different things that would make it exciting, like for instance, like you said, playoff spots, also draft picks, also free agency, everybody becoming free agents, and then most importantly, playing for your very livelihood to stay in the NBA, that would make it a very great uh, watch right there. Oh, it would be totally fun. Like I feel like Minnesota, once they knew that their season was lost, Carl Anthony Towns missed a lot of games. Detroit doesn't give Andre Drummond away to Cleveland for free. <laughs> yeah. If they know that they're, and I mean, I want to say they were like one game off from the worst record. So he ends up staying in Detroit. And I just wonder, like, some of the lower teams would end up having to make trades for veterans who they feel like can help them win right now. Yeah. A lot of incentive would be there indeed. And maybe they should have done it this year. Bottom. And you know what would be fun? If they did it for this year alone, say, you know what, we are, this is basically somewhat of a lost year in a sense. Let's not have a lottery and we're going to have this tournament, you know, this, and it will, I don't know, just some way to make this last month or so that if they end up playing it, something really radical and really competitive that rewards, that doesn't reward tanking. Well, there you have it right there. I think we got to go ahead and have you have a meeting with Adam Silver. I think that should, we should schedule that next week. I think I'm going to make a video on my channel, and and I'll, I'll draw it all out and come with my proposal and why I think it will work. A I'm sure people to... will hate it, but. <laughs> <laughs> a letter to Adam Silver. How about that? Yeah, I mean, if it worked, I mean, who, we would have never thought that the NBA would change the All-Star Game format. And it was so successful this year. Yes, that's true. Now if they can only do things with the dunk contest, but you know, I could may not digress. Yeah. It's 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 <laughs> done a lot of Dwayne Wade to have a vote, that's all. Yeah, there you go. Starting with that. But before we head on out, my friend, and you talk all the great things that are going on with the NBA draft junkies, I wanted you in your travels, I mean, because people don't understand all the work that you've put into it as far as the as basketball as a whole and all the time that you've spent working with players and and observing players around the world not only where you're at but all around the world and you've just mentioned it here in bits and pieces here on our shows if you could just give people just a few minutes just about some of the things you observe overseas as far as whether it's the passion whether it's the play or or just something that you know a lot of things that we take for granted here watching the nba well, I feel like I've been blessed to have a different view. I've been able to watch basketball on, I guess, four continents now. I mean, obviously, um, North America. I got a chance to watch RJ Hampton and LaMelo play in uh, New Zealand this year, so that was pretty cool. I spent the season in Europe, and then I spent the season before it ended in China. And um, and then I during the summer times, I've been able to go to some of the – scouting, not scouting, but uh, the international 
um, national team tournaments. I did that a couple of times last summer. So it's fun to me just getting a chance to watch basketball and just see how different it is across the world. Um, there's a couple of countries who I think that they have a really, really bright future as far as like their national teams, France being one of them. They went pretty far in the World Cup this year. I think Canada, if they can get all their guys on board, could be really, really good. Serbia's good. Um, there's a couple African countries that I think if they can get their guard play better, they could be a, you know, some, a, a powerhouse, a world powerhouse. But the biggest difference as far as just like overall with the fans, the fans in Europe are so much more intense. It's, you know, the NBA is kind of like, like if you if you have tickets to Laker games, if you have season tickets to Laker game, you're probably pretty wealthy. If you have season tickets to most, oh, at least on the lower bowl where you can actually, you know, see them on TV, you're pretty wealthy. I don't think that's necessarily the case in in Europe, but the fans are just so passionate, and some of it is just because the rivalries date back to, you know, the early 1900s. It's your soccer slash football rivalries. And they're really, really intense. Like I've been to games where you have, like in Turkey, for example, the team on the road, they have like security behind the bench and they have like these plexiglass things covering the players because you're liable to get hit with anything. Pennies, lighters, water bottles. It's not it's not safe. But yeah, I've heard stories. I'm, yeah, I've I've actually went to I've I went to a few games. And there was actually one game I went to where I was sitting, um, I was sitting like courtside by the bench, and um, one of the players on the team, he, the I was with the road team, and the guy missed a shot, and the fans stormed the court. But I didn't know if they were storming the court to celebrate or they were storming the court to fight the players. I just took <laughs> off running outside the arena and. I got back to my, I called a cab, got back to my hotel, but I couldn't get on Twitter to read if anything happened. I just had to wait until the rest of the team showed back up at the hotel. And if you ever get a chance, it's on my bucket list. I want to attend a Panathinaikos Olympiakos basketball game in Greece. Oh, it is there. the most intense. I mean, I've watched the videos. I mean, there's, I mean, it's just so hard to explain. You have to watch it on YouTube. They have flares going off in the crowd. It sounds like bombs. The, the arena's full of smoke. The, they have, like, nets protecting the fans from throwing stuff over the court. It's it's so intense. I mean, there's nothing – even Game 7 NBA Finals does not compare to this intensity because they really hate each other. And I think there's a good article about Patino's experience on The Ringer, and he said he wouldn't even go to certain restaurants because – he felt like if that restaurant supported the rival team, they may poison him, poison his food. So <laughs> it sounds crazy, and it sounds really, you know, like that's just over the top. But for whatever reasons, I'm so intrigued by that. And, um, yeah, it's on my bucket list to go to Olympiacos, Panathinaikos game in, in Athens just because they really hate each other. Take but your the riot gear. There. Take your riot gear. Well, I just wouldn't wear – well, yeah, I just wouldn't – Wear I wear neutral clothes. <laughs> yeah, don't don't wear colors. Definitely don't wear the colors of your favorite team on the road. That that would be the biggest mistake you can make. But yeah, I mean I just love the intensity behind it and how every game counts and every game matters. 
And that's what I, my theory behind the whole change in the drafting would be to make sure the NBA has a point where every game matters because you're playing for something, even if you're not playing for anything. And I feel like the way the system is set up and it's successful, obviously, but you can be rewarded for losing, you know, the worse off you are, there's a reward at the end of the day. Wow. I feel like in Europe, if you're bad, there's no reward. You have to win and there's no room to just say, well, you know, this is a lost season. You, you have to win. You, you don't get a star player coming in next year and you might get kicked out the league. So every game is so intense. It's also a shorter schedule. But if I could combine the NBA game and all of that with the, my experiences with the top level teams in Europe and the hatred between the two teams, to me, that would just be awesome. I have a daughter that really wants to go to Greece because she's into Roman mythology and all that. Mm-hmm. I'd love to time it around when you would be able to go ahead and strike that off your bucket list, and I would go to the game with you just to let's, experience it. I'm one of those it. people. I, I just like, I, oh, all that's going on there, I got to experience it. It could be detrimental to my health, but yes, I would go no, I mean, with you. I mean, they won't bother you unless – Unless like I wear the opposite colors. Other team colors or, yeah, that's when you're putting yourself at danger. But just neutral colors. and But most of the time when you're at those games, it's like even though, like, those two teams are in the same city, it is 99.9% of the fans of the home team. And if you're a fan of the road team, you're definitely not showing it. One of my best experiences was at the Final Four 2017. It was in Istanbul. And the team I was with was uh, Fenerbahce, which was the team in Istanbul. And it even goes back to like the history of the two countries. Greeks and Turks just don't get along. So you had Fenerbahce was playing Olympiacos. And, you know, the crowd is like the soccer games. The crowd is on their feet the whole time. They don't sit down. You have your, you know, everybody has their signs, their chants. And, and they're pretty vulgar. I know I was doing um, social media. And I, you know, was recording like the players warming up before the game to put on Instagram. And I was told that I can't use the video. And I said, why? And they were like, well, because of the audio. And I don't know what they're saying because I didn't speak Turkish, but it was so vulgar. (laughs) But it was the whole crowd chanting, chanting this to a player. But the fans got into a fight. And I mean, like, like, it wasn't just, like, two or three fans. It was just, like, sections of fans getting to the fight. The <laughs> coolest thing I saw was the police don't even have police gear. They just have, like, a vest that says police. And they just beat up both sets of fans and just let them go on their way. <laughs> so we'll never get to that point of an intensity in the States with any of our rivalries. I mean, think Auburn-Alabama football is doesn't even measure to how intense the rivalries are over there. So to me, that was like the best experience there, just seeing how passionate and how intense fans are over basketball. So you're telling me that the malice at the palace would be like a little schoolyard fight. It would make it, it may not make the like I know one game and it was the year after I left the fans. I put it like this one game I saw it was in Turkey. It was the finals, Turkish League finals. The fans we're throwing stuff at the refs, threatening the refs. They end up having to play like game four or five with nobody in the crowd. <laughs> Imagine the NBA finals where the fans are so rude and unruly that they say, all right, no fans allowed. I mean, we're struggling thinking of no fans allowed because there's a pandemic going on. And we're saying, well, how's that going to look? 
they were playing basketball games in the finals in Turkey with no fans because they were a threat to the referees. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's crazy. But for some reason, the weirdness in me is so intrigued by that. Uh, and I've seen it as well, especially uh, when it comes to European soccer. I've seen mm-hmm. a little bit in the European basketball, but uh, I've seen it more as far as the soccer. You know, and obviously you've seen the the good and the bad of that. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. just like it's like a car crash. I think it's something that both you and I have to be a part of and witness as far as not the actual crash itself, but to see the aftermath and to see the experience going on because of it. Every every game counts. I mean, <laughs> and I, I, it's even to the point where like. If you have a bad game, you don't want to leave the house for a couple of days. You just want to order food in because the fans will let you know. <laughs> and it's it's some bad to it, definitely, because at the end of the day, it's still a game. But I just love, I just love the intensity as opposed to sometimes you go to an NBA game in April and they have to turn the crowd music up to get the crowd involved, and you have to throw T-shirts to get people out of their seats and. And you got to have the the mascot high-fiving kids. In Europe, a lot of times there's no crowd noise as far as music. There's no mascots. There's nobody pumping the crowd up. No cheerleaders. The game is just intense off the fans alone. They chant and bring their own music. And I I love that experience. I went to a fight and a basketball game broke out. I've seen it happen. The only way I can get that type of intensity in the NBA is to – get rid of the lottery and, and try to demote teams to the G league. If they lose, <laughs> uh, I get to see Mark Cuban's face. If that happens. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, it would never happen, but I think it would add a different element of, of uh, intensity to the NBA. Yes, it would. Well, once again, I'm on with Rafael Barlow from NBA draft junkies. Check out his awesome podcast, his YouTube channel and his great site, NBA draft But before we head on out, my friend, I want you to go ahead and give everybody the scoop on what's going down with at the NBA Draft Junkies. Just trying to put out content and just want to just do stuff a little different. I came out with a mock draft video. It's just a lottery. I came out with that. It's on YouTube now. I need to work on 15 picks, 15 through 30. And in this, I'm just using the Tankathon standings. I'm giving my opinion on players I think fit, which players that I think teams should look at kind of based off of the current roster and, um, you know, like who's a free agent, who's not. Just adding my own little spin to it. And then I think what I want to do now going forward is more just different videos, not just breakdowns of players, but more maybe like even do player comparisons to try to get some type of involvement or, or um, you know, just maybe get some of the, the people that have been following me, some interaction with them. My site has grown. I'm, I'm up to almost 11,000 subscribers. So I just want to find a way to involve my subscribers because a lot of them are very knowledgeable. A lot of them are obviously big basketball fans. They give me their opinions in the comments. So I want to find a way to to get them involved and, and have some type of subscriber interaction. And I think that would be something that would be a little a little different as far as the whole out of all the draft websites and draft channels because there's there's a lot of them popping up and there's a lot of people that are really knowledgeable and doing some very good things. I just want to find a way to make mine a little bit different. And you can check that out today on NBA Draft Junkies, either on YouTube, Anchor, 
Spotify, and pretty soon coming to wherever you can get your podcast. And, of course, NBADraftJunkies.com. He does a great job there. I'll tell you what, I'm so happy for your success. Congratulations on 11,000 subscribers on YouTube. Just so awesome to hear that. I'm not there yet. Maybe by the time this podcast launches, I'll be there, but I'm close. I'm okay. we'll, really, we'll really close. It, so. we'll get, well, it's a given. We'll, we'll go ahead and say that. So you're speaking into existence, but thank That's you. That's right. Yes. We're, we're, we're going into uh, past terms there. We, we're, we're already thinking you're done. We're going to think positive here. So. So let's talk about 100,000 or a million. There you go. <laughs> Speak that into existence too. Hey, I would love to do that as well, my friend, and I'd love to see that for you. But once again, it's so awesome to have you here. I'm going to have you come back, speak more about the NBA, the NBA draft, and so much more. I just love hearing your thoughts right here at the Lakers Fast Break.